Hi, this is Jeff Kober, and we welcome you to another Disney at Work podcast, where we share stories from the happiest place on earth, which can be applied back to you and your organization. The Walt Disney Company's new streaming service, Disney Plus, and its decision to release their live action film, Mulan, on Disney's premium service is at the heart of our conversation today. It represents two ends of a spectrum where one initiates change and where one is dictated by change. But it's not Disney's only foray into change. We look into that legacy, key milestones in that heritage, and what lessons can be learned as you respond to change in your own world. They say necessity is the mother of invention. If that's so, change must be the father. Much of what is change is really events that either force people to do things differently or at least require them to rethink how they approach matters. Still, what makes Disney great today is not just their response to change occurring around them, but in being a leader of that change. Let's look at both. Some of Walt Disney's greatest opportunities were due to events that led to change and how he himself embraced those opportunities. In his early years, Walt went bankrupt in Kansas City. Desperate to start anew, he bought a plane ticket and, on a suitcase and a dream, headed to Los Angeles. He was just going to try to find work on any studio lot, but jobs were not forthcoming. When he realized that there was really no cartoon studio in Los Angeles, only back east, he set up shop, and the rest is history. Walt's first success came in the form of a series called Oswald the Lucky Rabbit. But when Walt realized his distributor had complete control over that series, Walt was forced into developing his own character, one that he would control. The result was Mickey Mouse. But Walt took it steps further. Besides just producing Mickey Mouse shorts, he added sound, making Mickey the first talking cartoon. He then added other changes and inventions, such as new stories and characters, color, and state-of-the-art camera effects. Walt realized over time that the Mickey Mouse and Silly Symphony cartoon series he developed could only make so much money compared to feature-length films in the box office. So he set out to create a full-length animated feature, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, was the outcome and its financial uh, income took Disney to another level as a filmmaker and as a studio. Curiously, during that same time, his distributor that he would use to release the film, United Artists, was proposing a contract that required Disney signing away television rights to Snow White. This was the late 1930s. Television was a long way away. In Walt's words, quote, I don't know what television is, but I'm not going to sign away anything I don't know about. 
End of quote. So, Walt signed with RKO instead, giving him those rights, and eventually in time, he created his own distribution agency, Buena Vista. In each of these instances, change was forcing Walt to do something different. But at the same time, Walt used that opportunity to seize new roads and avenues he hadn't traveled on before. We all have similar situations. Sometimes change dictates us. And sometimes we can dictate change. The trick is to master both. Speaking of television, here is an example. Most people know that uh, the Walt Disney Company owns ABC television. That goes back to uh, 1996. But baby boomers like myself know that Disney and ABC go back many, many decades. Few know what a risk or how unusual it was for a movie studio, much less an animation studio, to become involved with television. To describe ABC television in the early 1950s as a second-rate network to powerhouses CBS and NBC is to perhaps give it a compliment. ABC wasn't even in the same league as the two other networks. In the context of the Cold War, comedian Milton Berle, another star who um, was found on television, stated, in case they, the Soviets, drop the big bomb, go to ABC, they've never had a hit. So it was very courageous and innovative that Walt Disney chose to be the first studio producer to venture into the unknown world of television, unable to get banks or the other two television networks to invest in his new project, a park called Disneyland. He and Roy struck a deal to create television programming for ABC. Beyond the inherent risks in such an arrangement, the deal between D Disney and ABC blew away Hollywood. Most studio and theater owners saw television as a threat to their very existence. Stars on contract with studios were not allowed to appear on television. Indeed, most television programming was done in New York, not in California. The studios didn't even like televisions to appear in their films. Walt saw it differently. Quote, instead of considering TV arrival when I saw it, I said, I can use that. I can be a part of it, end of quote. Walt had a grander vision of what his shows could do on ABC and how they could be used to promote Disneyland. Each week when the show occurred, they would feature uh, films and shows based on the different themed lands of the park. Fantasyland would show cartoons. Tomorrowland would show a series on man in space. Adventureland would show... Uh, movies from his True Life Adventure documentary series. And Frontierland, oh my goodness, that was the home of Davy Crockett and more boys that wore coonskin hats than you can imagine. Well, uh, he did have a grander vision uh, of what could be done um, to promote Disneyland. Despite pressure from the other studios, Walt and Roy signed a contract with Leonard Goldenson of ABC in which the network would put up half a million dollars in cash, guarantee 4.5 million in loans, 
and receive one-third ownership in Disneyland, which eventually uh, sold back to Walt himself. The Disneyland show was a tremendous success for ABC. It went on to other shows like the Mickey Mouse Club series. For three years, it was the only ABC show in the top 15 rated programs. It would make Walt's face as famous as his name. His lead-ins provided an opportunity for him to talk directly to his audience in a tone that was natural and familiar, which made him a favorite guest in millions of homes. It also introduced the world to Disneyland and encouraged them to visit. Small wonder that in the first month or so after Disneyland opened, it would receive over 1 million visitors. Walt Disney took a risk, took a chance, but in the end, he embraced the change, he embraced the opportunity, and saw new possibilities. The Walt Disney Company today is not the little studio in seventh place, but instead the world's largest purveyor of entertainment. It builds around Walt's own philosophy, which was, quote, around here, however, we don't look backwards for very long. We keep moving forward, opening up new doors and doing new things because we're curious and curiosity keeps leading us down new paths. Walt Disney Company today is phenomenal because it continues to follow that same philosophy that Walt Disney outlined so many years ago. You can't sit on your laurels. Certainly, Bob Iger, former CEO of the Walt Disney Company and currently chairman, didn't think so when he came aboard in 2005. One of his great concerns as he took over was he witnessed the parade at the opening of Disneyland Hong Kong. It was filled with characters dating several years back, like Beauty and the Beast, or even further back, like Mickey. Nothing Disney had done in the last 10 years was represented in that parade because Disney had not had successful animated films in the 10 years prior, since the time of Aladdin and Lion King and Beauty and the Beast. At the same time, Pixar, on the other hand, was having show-stopping success, and it was seen in the form of Toy Story, Bugs Life, and Finding Nemo. And yet, Disney and Pixar were on a path to separate and go their own way. Iger knew he needed to address that, and so taking up the helm, he brought change to the company by acquiring Pixar in 2006, and then Marvel in 2009, and then Lucasfilm in 2012. By the end of 2019, those decisions had yielded $8 billion in movie ticket sales, more than any studio had ever made by wide margins. Disney was no longer the bottom of the heap. It was number one. And yet... Bob Iger didn't feel he could sit on the success of the box office. Bob realized he didn't have a deep technology structure in place like streaming competitors, Amazon, Apple, or Netflix. So Disney 
has taken a new gamble on something called Disney+. Plus. Well, it doesn't seem like a gamble now, no more than Disney going into television. But before it premiered, experts saw it as a risk, albeit maybe a calculated one. Its cable networks, to include ESPN, were generating 40% of profits. The thought was this would cannibalize the business, according to Bloomberg Businessweek. In truth, Bob could see cable subscriptions leaving for streaming subscriptions. To offset that in part, he purchased BamTech, a platform Steve Jobs actually was very impressed and told Bob that before he passed away. From that, Bob and Disney could build a streaming incarnation of ESPN. Not long after Disney's announcement to start streaming, Rupert Murdoch approached Iger to see if he would be interested in purchasing 21st Century Fox's entertainment properties. This would allow new material not just for Disney+, Plus but for its Hulu streaming service as well. From there came a thought to see well, what else could be created for Disney+. Plus. Disney, Muppets, and Marvel all started to step up to the plate. Then there was the $100 million investment known as The Mandalorian. <laughs> In truth, all of these combined to create an $11 billion investment. One not expected to turn a profit until 2024, all in hopes that they attained 90 million subscribers globally by the end of that same period. But as the third quarter report for this year in 2020, by August 3rd, the number of Disney Plus subscribers alone has come to 60.5 million. Indeed, changing to Disney Plus was not only wildly successful, but it has been the only bright spot in the company since the pandemic began. So Iger's response to change has paid off in a big way. That same third quarter report showed changes Disney had faced at the box office. COVID-19 is an equal opportunity business destroyer, so all the studios have felt the impact, but none so more than the guy on top. Remember the one who created $8 billion in sales the year before? Movies that were shot and slated for distribution were now being backed up, and no film was more problematic than Mulan which needed to open worldwide on the same day to reduce probabilities that pirated copies would be made and sold in markets still not open, particularly in China. Hoping the pandemic would subside, the film was pushed back to two later dates. Eventually, the announcement was made to put Mulan on Disney Plus but to charge an additional $30 on top of the $7 monthly subscription. Enter the critics. Some feel that $30 seems high to go to the movies, unless, of course, you're a family the size of ours, which <laughs> actually becomes quite a deep discount. Most digital rentals will cost $20 for a 48-hour rental, but here you get to keep playing it 
until it is included as part of your Disney Plus subscription. Then there are those critics who say it's simply a retread of an animated film. It will bomb like Dumbo did last year in the movie theaters. To that end, Yahoo Finance noted that if only half of Disney Plus subscribers were to purchase Mulan, it would result in amassing some $1 billion in sales, of which none of it would have to go to a theater complex distributor. And CEO Bob Chapek believes that people will actually subscribe to Disney Plus to have the opportunity to watch it. And all that doesn't include what the international box office will do. The reason Mulan is coming out this weekend is because the film is slated to premiere on theatrical screens in China at the same time. Bob Iger notes that Mulan is a one-off. In truth, though, it's an opportunity to see if Disney could disrupt distribution as it now stands. And great organizations become the disruptors in the industry. There is a lot riding on Mulan this weekend, though its fate is more related to Hollywood than saving China from the Huns. Hollywood loves happily ever after stories. It's not guaranteed that this will be one, but Disney succeeds because it keeps trying to write these tales. Stories where the good guy keeps taking chances, and while there are failures, the successes overtake the bad chances over time. It's the heritage of Disney's DNA to do so. This reminds me of an important story told in Bob Thomas's uh, phenomenal book on Walt Disney. There was a time just before the release of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs where they were short on cash. They did not have enough money to finish the film. And the only way to do so was to get uh, uh, Joseph Rosenberg, who was the Bank of America executive, to give them, uh, to extend their loan and to give them, give them some more money. Um, when Roy asked for more money to complete Snow White, Rosenberg was reluctant. Roy advised Walt, you got to show Joe what you've done on the picture so far. I can't do that, Walt insisted. All I've got is bits and pieces. You know, I never like to show anybody a picture when it's all cut up. It's too dangerous. Walt, you'll have to, Roy replied. The only way we're going to get more money is to show them what they're lending money for. Walt grudgingly agreed. He ordered his staff to work overtime to prepare a presentation that contained the essential elements of Snow White. Since only a few of the sequences had been completed, the action had to be bridged by pencil sketches and rough layout. Finally, enough film was collected to provide a rough impression of Snow White, and Walt arranged to show it to Rosenberg at the studio on a Saturday afternoon. Only the two men were present in the projection room. The room darkened, and on the screen came the scene of a fairy tale book opening. What followed was a jumble of fully animated sequences in color, alternating with long stretches of pencil sketches um, of static figures. The soundtrack was fragmentary, and Walt filled in the gaps with his own recital of the dialogue and action. Despite Walt's energetic performance, Rosenberg's response was only an occasional, 
Yes, yes. Finally, the showing ended with Snow White and the prince living happily ever after. The lights came on in the projection room, and Walt searched the banker's face for a sign of approval. There was none. <laughs> Walt followed him out the door, down the studio street, and into the alley where Rosenberg's car was parked. Rosenberg talked about Roy, the weather, anything except what he had just seen in the projection room. He climbed in the car, started the motor, and said, Thanks. Goodbye. Then he added, That thing is going to make a hat full of money. Well, you know the rest of the story to that film. It did make a hat full of money. In fact, it made... Uh, I think they took out loans to less than a little, little less than two million, and made eight million in the box office, which was an astounding amount when you consider that at that time, um, tickets were only uh, fifteen, eighteen, twenty cents at the box office. You know, I happened to see Mulan just uh, as a preview. It was an 11-minute extended preview. I saw it the other day at Disney's Hollywood Studios. And you know what? I think it's going to make a hat full of money. It's a great film. Whether it does or doesn't doesn't matter. What does matter is you keep moving forward. Pandemic or not, keep moving forward. Now, as all Disney at Work podcasts have... We provide you souvenirs, free souvenirs, actually, that you can take back to you and your own organization. And these souvenirs come in the form of some questions, thoughts, ideas that you can reflect on. Consider the following as they relate back to your organization. What has been your company's history with embracing change? Are you dictating change or is change dictating you? What is the last change you have embraced? Do you question the status quo? What new opportunities are there that you haven't taken advantage of? And finally, what will you do to keep moving forward? Well, that's it for our Disney at Work podcast. We're glad you joined us. And we hope that you'll continue to look at our other podcasts, both on Disney at Work and Disney at Play, please, please visit our website, disneyatwork.com. Make sure you subscribe so you're notified when new podcasts come out. And, oh, by the way, please go to iTunes and make sure you're subscribed there or wherever you're getting your podcasts from. That way you make sure that you can continue to receive new podcasts as they come out. We are thankful that you could join us. Make sure that you always keep moving forward. And in the words of Sinbad's storybook voyage from Disney's uh, Tokyo Disney Sea, remember, always follow the compass of your heart. Have a great day. We'll see you real soon. Bye.